Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he said, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Well, we sang this morning a song that's really special to me, and that's uh, this song, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Uh, it's kind of an odd song. It's got a little bit of a strange rhythm, and melodically it can surprise people. Um, but it's special to me because while I was in college, while I was a student at A&M's Wesley Foundation, we closed every worship service, which we, we had twice a week. Uh, we closed every single service with that song uh, as we linked hands together and sang um, and then went out into our college lives, uh, or some of us did, some of us just hung around the building for the rest of the night. Um, but that time that I spent there, this uh, time in campus ministry, didn't end at Texas A&M. Many of y'all know that I actually spent a lot of time working and serving in the world of campus ministry before coming here. Uh, not just two years at A&M as a student, but a, another year as a full-time intern at that Wesley Foundation, which was an amazing blessing and a great opportunity uh, to learn under an experienced pastor uh, some of the basic tasks of ministry. But also beyond that, uh, to spend those formative years together with people who were helping me to learn uh, what it meant to be a Christian uh, in today's world. And then after college, after I left A&M and went to seminary, I spent three years as the director of a Wesley Foundation in a small-town community college, uh, Weatherford College, um, and learned even more there. There's this amazing thing in the world of campus ministry where you get to see and meet and hear some of the brightest young people that, you can, uh, that you'll ever meet. These are people who see the world in different ways, who you can tell are going places. You meet people that you're sure are going to change the world for the better. And from them, you can learn these innovative ways of thinking. You can see things that you have gotten so accustomed to in a new light. And at the same time as that, there's also this other side of the blessing of campus ministry where you get to learn, and, uh, learn from and meet the faculty and staff of the college People who spend all of their time working for and with these students so that they can learn and grow. And you get to meet members of local churches. So in a lot of ways, you're getting the innovative new ideas of the young people and the wisdom and experience of these uh, older uh, church members and faculty members and people who've worked for a while. And it gets to be your job to synthesize these in a way that's beneficial for both parties, for both sides. Uh, and that's an amazing thing. I learned a lot from my time in campus ministry. But one of the most important things that I learned actually didn't come from either of those places. It came in the form of a meeting 
which sounds odd because meetings are oftentimes kind of terrible, but this one was, it was a, a unique opportunity. I got roped into it by my campus minister who didn't want to go, and I was an intern, so I got to go. And uh, it was a meeting with the other campus ministers at Texas A&M. And we gathered and met with the vice president of the university and some representatives from the counseling center. And what we did was we talked about what we were, what we were up to these days and how everything was going. But then the most important part of this was when the counseling center uh, representatives shared with us what they were seeing because they came with the intention of telling us the needs of the students and the faculty and working with us to figure out ways that we might be able to start addressing those needs. And what they told us that morning was that they were seeing a crisis on campus, that these students were coming to them uh, in, uh, in numbers that they'd never seen before, looking for help with anxiety and depression and feelings of being completely overwhelmed by everything that was happening around them. They were under so much pressure that they felt like they could not handle it. And so they went to the counseling center looking for help. And what they told us was that for the first time, they were not able to help all of the students who were coming. It used to be that they had enough people on their team that could meet with students, that they could meet with students for their entire college career. But now, they were having to tell students that they could help them for one semester and then refer them to somewhere else. These students were coming to them largely because they did not have any way to cope with what was going on. But what they said was the cause of this was what was really interesting to me. They said that these students were so connected with one another, they were so able to communicate with the world in ways that no generation past had ever seen before. They were able through digital communication, through new technologies, and through social media to talk to one another regardless of distance, to stay in touch with people that they'd met long ago with ease. I mean, this wasn't a problem for them, but the problem was what they were presenting was not the whole story of themselves because they were finding that these students felt the pressure to always put on uh, their best face, to put their best foot forward at all times. After all, nobody is going to go on Facebook and brag about failing their exam. No one's going to go on Facebook and talk about their uh, exciting uh, vacation time spent cleaning their house. No, one, no college student is going to go post on Instagram their gourmet dinner of pizza rolls they're going to post instead the best things that they can and not share the struggles, not share the harder parts. And instead, they're keeping those inside and letting them fester into shame. For all of this digital technology, for the ease of communication that they had, these students were finding themselves unable to participate in any kind of meaningful community or form sincere open relationships. And that was what was causing this crisis. But here is the dirty little secret about that. It's not just college kids. This is something that's plaguing high school students. It's working its way down into middle schools. This is something that affects people older than college-aged, people who've been out of college for quite a while. 
The truth is that loneliness is becoming a new plague on our society. People feel isolated. And the fact that people are looking for help, that people are going in search of a remedy for this, just speaks to the fact that we have not completely lost sight of a very basic truth about human existence. And that is the fact that God did not design us to be alone. You see this all throughout Scripture. I mean, you see this right from the very beginning in Genesis when God says it is not good for man to be alone. This is a basic fact of human life. And we see it in our second Scripture this morning, which is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. And the author says this. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is a verse, this is a passage that people turn to oftentimes uh, when they're experiencing hardships. And for good reason, there's a lot of encouragement to be found here. Run the race. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Do not lose heart. These are good things, and they're good things for us to remember and keep in mind as we strive uh, to live a good life. But what we oftentimes miss is the fact that this whole thing is one of those moments in Scripture that's an argument that says, because of this, this is true. And what this says is that all of this edification, all of this encouragement, all of these things that we're told to do hinge on this idea, this statement, that since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Because we're a part of this community, because we have unity with this great cloud of witnesses, therefore, cast off sin. Therefore, cast off the things that entangle you. Therefore, strive after Christ, run the race, and fix your eyes on Jesus. All because of this, the fact that we are a part of a larger community. When we talk about the great cloud of witnesses, we so often look at the fact that Christianity, the movement that we are a part of here today, is something that extends back thousands of years and that's reached every corner of the globe, something that's spanned countless generations and countless nations. It's something so big that we can barely even begin to understand it. It's something universal in that sense. But it's not just universal. It's something that's local, too. We don't only have this great cloud of outside witnesses to turn to. We have each other. Because in our local church, we are surrounded by a great cloud of people who can attest to the work that they've seen God do and who will profess the fact that they have seen lives changed by faith in Jesus Christ. They know that God is at work. They know how God has worked in them, and they know how God can work in you. So we're told 
that because we're a part of this community locally, which is a part of this community at large, that we can do all of these things, that we can turn to Christ. It's interesting that we can be a part of a community that's so long-standing and so large because our world tells us that that kind of bond is not possible anymore, that we are divided from one another, that there's no hope that we can be brought back together. And yet, in a world that's built on individuality and disunity, a community that's built on Christ, a community that's built around the good news of the gospel is the only one that can stand without fracturing. Christian community, because of that, because we have Christ at our center, carries with it so many blessings, and it also carries with it so many responsibilities. And in the same way that our local community can't be separated from the church at large, These responsibilities and these blessings cannot be separated from each other either because they're all part of the same thing. The reason that this bears responsibilities is because of the simple fact that the thing that hinders our relationships, the things that drive us apart more than anything else, is sin. It's rooted in sin. You can think about it this way. Sin is what separates us from Christ. So in our personal relationships, if we have Christ as our center, we know that that's a relationship that stands on a solid foundation. But when sin enters the mix, when it brings with it anger and spite and hatred, when it brings with it misconduct or any number of other things that we can do to hurt one another, that's when that glue that holds us together starts to grow weak because you're removing Christ from the system and Christ is the only thing that's holding us together. And this is true for the church as well. It's, it's interesting. We say that we are a community that's built on faith and that is unified throughout the years, but if you look around, you see a huge number of churches. You see a huge number of denominations. You see infighting within those. How can we say that we're unified when that is our reality? Well, this is the same sort of thing. This is sin entering into the system. We fracture and divide. We fight with each other when we lose track of our central foundation, of our core principle, which is that we are gathered around Jesus Christ, who's the only thing that can bring us together. So when we split, when we divide from one another, it's because the focus on Christ has been lost. And so in order to combat that, we have to look at reducing or removing sin. This is, that's why Scripture says, cast off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Because what you do in your personal life affects how you interact with the people around you. This is why it's so important for us in our pursuit of good, solid community to pursue solid lives of spiritual discipline as well. When you search the scriptures, when you spend time engaged in prayer, focusing on God, worshiping with one another, what you're doing is you're preparing your heart to look towards Christ at all moments, even the difficult ones, even the ones where you want to push other people away and isolate yourself. 
And as you train yourself to look to Christ instead, you find that that temptation to rid yourself of other people starts to fall away. It strengthens our bonds. And sin can enter into how we treat one another too. When we treat each other with an attitude of condescension or hatred, that's sin entering the system because Christ tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies. So when we're not doing that, when we're not living up to the standards set by Christ, things start to fall apart. And this is also true for how we interact with the group that we're a part of. Because in the same way that you can mistreat other people, when you forget about your responsibilities to keep your eyes fixed on Christ, what starts to happen is that you start to wrong the group. You start to push other people away, and that creates those fractures that weakens the glue that holds us together. It distracts other people from Christ, which makes them want to leave. So all of this is built around focusing on Jesus Christ. But it comes with blessings. Well, those are, those are responsibilities to avoid sin and pursue holiness. The blessings that come from this, from a life in a community, are way more than worth it. Jesus calls us to live a difficult life. Jesus does not call us to do easy things. Love your enemy is not an easy commandment to follow, but it's a good one. And when we can follow those commandments, when we can pursue Christ and pursue holiness and the perfection that God has prepared for us in our personal lives and in our relationships, then we can enjoy the blessings of this Christian community. And there are many because community contradicts that message that you're alone, that you should not have hope, and that nothing's ever going to get better, that you're going to be isolated forever, that you can never be open. Community pushes back against that and says, no, you can share your lives. You can share in your burdens, and you can grow together. Because the truth is, we're better together than we could be on our own. This is what you see in the book of Ecclesiastes. The man who comes with no community, who has no family ties and nobody to share his life with, this is a man who, is, uh, who observes that all of his toil is empty. It's worthless. It's vanity, as the author keeps saying. But when you have Christian friendships, when you have Christian relationships and participate in the community of the church, what you find is you find friends who can defend you against the harm that the world wants to inflict. You have friends who can support you when difficult times come. And you have friends who can edify you, who can make you better and help you grow day by day. And you can do the same for them. It's a beautiful thing. The plague that, that is uh, on our society is this sense that we have to go it alone. That you can't really be together with other people, but at the end of the day, it's just you. That's the message that plagues college students. It's a message that plagues everyone because it's what we hear all the time. But it's not the truth. 
It's not what God has prepared for us because God has made us for community and has made the church for us. When you run alone, when you try and run the race of life by yourself, you get to enjoy the glory. That's true. And pride oftentimes makes us want that. We want people to know that we did it alone, that we earned this. But it also means that you bear the pain alone, too. When you run the race by yourself, what you remember at the end of the day is how much it hurt when you fell. But when you run the race together, when you are a part of a community that's running alongside of you, pursuing the same goal, chasing after Christ, then what you remember is when you fell and were picked back up so that you could keep going. You remember the friends that stand beside you who want the best for you, who want to support you and help you in any way that they can, and the friends that you want to help in the same way. Because in community, when we are together, yes, we have to share the glory, but how that happens is because we share in celebration. And in a lot of ways, that's better than the glory we could enjoy ourselves. We share in celebrations and when those hard times do come, when burden comes, instead of letting it build into shame, we can share those burdens as well. And that's what happens when we share in life together because we're better together than we would be apart. God has built this church and this community for us to come together so that we can see just a glimpse of what he has prepared for us in eternity, which is perfect relationship with him and with one another. So as we go out from here today, keep this in mind. Keep in mind how sin encourages you to push those that you care about away, to push your neighbors away, and let Christ minister to your soul and to your heart so that you might bring them closer instead. Thanks be to God. Amen.